Thanks for joining us for another inspiring message from City Harvest Church. To find out more about City Harvest, please visit chcus.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chcus. Well, amazing. I'm so glad you're here this morning. You know, past two weeks, we have had Pastor Derek preach on what? Making changes in our lives. And many of you are so impacted by the message, you came and said, wow, God really convicted me of some things that I need to change in my life. Am I right? Amen? Amen. The key is always not to just be inspired. The problem is always how to persevere through so that changes becomes permanent. And all God's people say? Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to continue with that thread of thought and also pick up from where I last preached in church about the kingdom of God and about worship. Remember that message? All right, we're going to pray this morning, right? Come, let's pray. Father, I thank you that this morning, Lord, you are here in the midst of your people. I pray right now, oh God, everyone under the sound of my voice, that God, they will open up their hearts to listen, not just with their natural ears, but their spirit ears will be open. I pray for such a spirit of revelation to come upon your people. I pray for transformation. I pray for such a great awakening right here in City Harvest Church. I know that every man and woman did not come by coincidence, that they came this morning, because this is the message for them. So Lord, I pray that let your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven this morning. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Jim Ron says, Your life does not get better by chance. It only gets better by change. Everyone say change. How many of you have some things in your life you need to change? Wave your hands at me. We need to change because we want our lives to get better. Amen? And in the same way this morning, I want you to know, I want to inspire you to change the way you look at the purpose of the church and the role you play in the local church and on earth. Why? Because in Isaiah 60... Verse 1 to 3, it says, Arise, shine. Everyone say, Arise. Arise. Everyone say, shine. shine. The Bible says, Heaven is calling the people of God to arise and to shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. How many of you know that darkness has already covered the earth? And not only darkness, deep darkness covered the people. But the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. You know, in the time when the world is dark, when darkness covers the people, God's very intention in that deep darkness is for his glory to manifest. It's for His glory to come upon His people. But you know this glory is not going to come upon everyone. 
It's only going to come on the people, the remnant, that will keep their eyes fixed on heaven and their ears inclined to what heaven is saying. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You see, His glory must come to His church. Okay, these people are not so excited here. Let me try it. His glory must come to His church. Amen. Exodus 12, verse 31, it says, And the Lord went before him, went before them. Now, this story is about the children of Israel. Am I right? And in my last sermon, I talked about it quite extensively. I say the children of Israel walk in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was their leader. But was he leading where they were going? No, it was Jehovah. It was Jehovah because they were led by the cloud by day and the fire by night. Am I right? And we think, wow, God is so kind. The cloud by day to shield them from the heat and the fire by night so that they will not be too cold. But let me tell you in Nahum 1 verse 3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way. In the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Which means, for 40 years, God was walking with his people. Can you see that? The cloud is the dust on his feet. So wherever he walked, the children of Israel followed him. God literally spent 40 years walking the wilderness with his people. He kept walking and walking and walking, waiting for his people to have a change of heart and a change of mind, to truly believe what Moses has declared to his Pharaoh, to the Pharaoh, that he is the great I am. He said, I am that I am. I need, I am whatever you need me to be, Whoever you need me to be, whatever you need, I am the answer. I am that I am. So lo que soy. Soy lo que soy. I am that I am. Soy lo que soy. I am that I am. How can we fully comprehend his power? How can we fully Understand His majesty. How can we fully comprehend His glory? Teaching is not enough. Preaching is insufficient. We can only understand when it is revealed to us. Psalms 18 verse 11 says, He made darkness His secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and dark clouds of the skies. We would think, how can God have any darkness? In this psalm, it was not talking about evil. This darkness means something that God conceals. God hides from the people. Proverbs 25 verse 2 say, It is the glory of God to hide, to conceal a matter but the glory of kings to search out a matter. So the glory is not something that can be expounded with doctrines, but it must be understood from a revelation. 
such revelation is only reserved for those who are hungry enough to seek after it, for those who are tired of doing religion, for those who are sick and tired of going round the wilderness. They want to know what is in that glory. You see, you got to be activated to walk in that revelation. And look at Proverbs 25, it says, when you are activated, you walk in that revelation, and now you can walk in the authority of kings. Psalms 97 verse 2 says, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. When revelation comes, this darkness is liquidated. When revelation comes, this darkness, the revelation of God will be made available to you. If you want to pursue, if you hunger for it, God will reveal himself to you. And when that revelation comes, it will be made available through you to the people around you. Say together with me, say, the glory is coming. Oh, not good, not good. I need it to be louder. Say, the glory is coming. But before the glory comes, the church must come back to what she has been called to do. The church has downplayed the things that really made us special. And the most important thing that has been removed from the church in our generation is the altar of God. The missing altar. Psalms 56 verse 7 says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted where? On my altar. Isaiah 56 verse 7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Everyone say, on my altar. That is what is critically missing in our churches today. There is very little use of the altar in the church. And maybe in some charismatic, spirit-filled so-called church, they have the altar, but that is you only use for salvation. When we give an altar call, people come forward and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Social media and other media platform is helpful for us to get the message out to get the teaching out. But let me tell you, it cannot replace the corporate altar experience. This technology will not make the gathering of the church obsolete because it cannot take the place of the temple. Beyond the physical building is the temple made of living stones. You and I coming together. When we remove the altar from the house, listen carefully. When we remove the altar from the house, there will be desecration. A house without an altar is not a church. Let me say this again. A house without an altar is not a church. At best, it is a synagogue. 
God does not recognize a church without an altar. What happens at the altar? And as I expound on it, you will understand why church world today is so full of disorder and chaos. Because the altar has been removed. Number one, worship happens at the altar. And I'm not talking about sing-along here. I'm talking about heartfelt, truth-inspired worship. People of all faith, not limited to Christians, people of all faith worship something and someone. And this is empty and unrewarding. Why? Because what they worship is not worthy of worship and is incapable to respond to the worship. But the Christian worship is different. Because we are worshipping one that is alive, that has eyes to see, ears to hear, that's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And when we worship Him, He is worthy of all our worship. He is worthy of all power or glory or honour. And when we worship Him, the best thing is He can respond. And He wants to respond and He does respond. He responds when we submit to Him as our Lord and our King. See, every altar signifies submission to His sovereign authority and impeccable holiness. Old Testament does it with a physical altar. So every time they want to worship God, they have to build an altar. But in the New Covenant, we do it with the altars of our hearts. This is where our altar is right in our spirit. When the altar is removed from the church, we no longer worship God in spirit and in truth. And when worship doesn't come from the heart and is not inspired by truth, we cannot see God. And when we cannot see God, we cannot understand His holiness. And when we cannot understand His holiness, we cannot walk out our own holiness. Does that make sense? Because our holiness comes from God. First Peter 1 verse 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, not confirming our, conforming ourselves to the former lusts, as in, in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So when the altar is removed from the church, The people become defiled and they feel justified in their sin. Is it a truth right now? The people of God become defiled, even the priesthood, and they feel justified in their sin. They can fornicate in the church under the nose of God. They can murmur and gossip, accuse and do all things violating to the word, yet they have no conviction of what they did is wrong because the altar is no longer there. So heartfelt, truth-inspired worship happens at the altar. What, happen, what other things happens at the altar? Number two, sacrifice happens at the altar. See, in the history of God's people, the purpose of the altar was always to provide a place of sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice are not the same thing. Listen out carefully. What is worship? 
Worship is a heartfelt giving out of our devotion and commitment. But sacrifice is an intentional, everyone say intentional. It's an intentional giving up of what stands in the way of our worship. There are very there are two different things. So why did God always require a sacrifice at the altars in the Old Testament? Why does He always require a sacrifice on the altars in our heart today? So whenever you come and gather in the temple, whenever you come and gather in the temple, you are expected to sacrifice. I know you don't like that word. I know you hate that word. And some people are allergic to that word. (laughs) But let me tell you that every time you come to God, God expects a sacrifice. Amen. Exodus 20, why? Why does God expect a sacrifice? The answer is this, because God is a jealous God. Exodus 20 verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a calf image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above earth or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Let's read the, la- the next sentence together. Say, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is a jealous God. God requires that we elevate our worship of Him far above our worship or desire for anything and anyone else. Can I hear a loud amen? Amen. He commands our full devotion. He will not share His sovereignty with anyone else. And He doesn't have to justify Himself to us. We are the clay. He is the porter, period. God has always designated sacrifice as a test, as a barrier. Do you know that? As a barrier through which people will pass to get to Him. The sacrifice is the test. That is why when you come to the gathering, when you come to the temple, if you are not ready to sacrifice praise and worship, not ready to sacrifice your finances, not ready to sacrifice all your personal desire and want to desire more of God, you will never get through into and cross over to meet with Him and encounter Him. God has always destinated sacrifice to be the test or the barrier through which people will pass through to get to Him. Under the old covenant, the sacrifice was a ritual slaughter of bulls and, and lambs and, and um, goats, right? Blood had to be shed. But under the new covenant, we have a better sacrifice. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sacrificed and ended the old system, destroyed the need for rituals, the need for fresh blood to be shed as it did. It brought us into a new system, out of freedom from the bondage of rituals. However, it is still a sacrifice. And all God's people say, 
it is still one of sacrifice. He became the sacrifice, but today we are the sacrifice. We are the living sacrifice. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everyone say together with me, say, I am a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. God expects us to live a sacrificial life. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. We are to deem our life as a living sacrifice. You know, I want to take a moment to talk about serving in a house of God. And how I see some of you, you really love God, you want to serve in the house of God, but you don't look at it as your sacrificial offering to the Lord. You serve because you want to be of, you want to serve something, you want to feel that you are contributing, which is great. But the higher end, the end of the matter is to come to a place where you know your ministry is a sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. Amen. And when you come and serve, for example, you serve under the ashes, you are not serving Marvin. You are serving the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It is something that is delegated to you and it is something you must take it seriously. Because everything that you do, you are providing a sacrifice on the altar. So don't serve out of convenience. I see many people, they come and when it's inconvenient, they say, Oh, I'm sorry, I cannot do it. Last minute, they said, Oh, I cannot come. The fate of the matter is, we are all accountable to God, not just to men. Yes, things may happen. Yes, last minute there may be an urgency. Now, I'm not being religious here. I'm addressing the matter of the heart, the attitude of the heart. When we tell you to come to church early, it is not a religious thing. Even if you are late, we're not going to bolt the door and refuse for you to come in. What I'm addressing is do we honor and do we reverend who God is? Amen? Amen? We know that when we come, God expects us to come reverently and come to approach God with every intention to encounter Him. So when we serve the house of God, we want to serve because we know this is our sacrifice to the Lord. It is an offering to the Lord. What about the offering of our finances? When we take up the offering, that's why in City Harvest, we don't just pass the offering bucket. We don't just give you an offering bucket at the end and say, you know, give your offering as you go out the door. Why? Because the, the offering to the Lord is part and parcel of coming to the Lord and being the living sacrifice for Him. The fact of the matter is when we tithe, our tithe, the 10% of our tithe, Redeem the 90% of what is left. Because we tithe to the Lord that 10% cause our 90% to be sacred. Just like Jesus, when God gave Jesus to us as a sacrifice, that one son made us all redeemed. Cause us all to be sacred because of one man's sacrifice. That's why in the Garden of Eden, there's a tree that you do not touch which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is put aside 
as a tithe to the Lord. So you understand that when we come together, we must all see ourselves gathering at the altar and offering ourselves as living sacrifice. And our finances is part of our life. We exchange our life for finances. So that is also representing how we offer our lives to God. In 1 Corinthians 11.26, and at this point, I do want to take up the offering. I'll just please take your position. 1 Corinthians 11.26, it says, What must you solemnly realize? The Bible says every time we come and partake of the Holy Communion. Now, in, in City Harvest Church, we partake it once a month on the first week of the month. So this is not the first week of the month, but I want to say this. Every time we partake of the Holy Communion, what are we doing? In, in the Message Bible, it says, what must you solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You remember, bring to your remembrance the sacrifice of the Lord. You will be drawn back into this meal over and over again and again until the master returns. You must always remember the Lord's sacrifice for you and always remember that you are the living sacrifice. Everything that's of you does not belong to you. It now belongs to the Lord. That everything that is given to you has been given to you out of grace and out of mercy. And the last sentence says, you must never let familiarity breed contempt. What does contempt mean? Contempt means to devalue something. To treat as common what is sacred. Everything about the house of God is sacred. Amen? Amen? And because God is sacred, and how many of you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Wave at me. And because the Lord is sacred, you now are sacred. Because now you tie to the Lord as a believer, all your money is sacred. Everything about you is sacred. Every portion of this service is sacred. Nothing is less than another. So you understand God says, if you become overly familiar with God, that's why you can think you can casually enter into the presence of God. You can casually give an offering. In the Old Testament, do you know that they cannot bring an offering that is lame or blind or spotted? Every offering that is offered to God must, must meet a certain specification, must meet a certain standard. Why? It is because the one that you are offering to is sacred. So it always deals with the attitude of our heart. It is never about how much is being offered. It is always about what is the attitude when you really approach the altar to offer it to God. So in taking up our offering, you must see as you're representing your life, offering your life on the altar of God. We do not take up an offering because of a need. Yes, sometimes church runs project, churches runs project, they need to raise money for the project. But when it comes to the gathering of the altar in the temple, we do not take up an offering because we need the money. Amen. 
We give because this is our reasonable act of service. We are the living sacrifice, and because of that, we approach God as a sacrifice so that God can be honored, God can be pleased. Amen? So let's put our understanding into action. I want you to prepare your offering this morning and give God an offering that resembles, that represents your sacrifice, represents your heart, your attitude to want to sacrifice to the Lord. Let's close our eyes as we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move in our hearts. You see, the Bible says that the sons of God are led by the Spirit of the Lord. And in in this church, we want to train you to be mature sons and daughters, that you do not listen to the voice of men only, but you listen truly, first of all, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to come before you, together, together in your temple to gather around the altar and to offer to you a sacrifice of an offering that represents our heart attitude. Let this offering not be casual. Let it be given out of free will. Let it be given cheerfully. Let it be given representing our gratitude towards our Lord who has laid down as the first, as the everlasting sacrifice for us all. Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, begin to whisper, begin to speak, begin to impress upon us an amount to give that will represent that sacrifice. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. 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 Ushers, please serve the people. If you do not have an offering envelope, you can raise your hands and we will give you one. There are many ways you can give this morning. If you want to write a check, write it to City Harvest Church. If you want to give our credit card, please write your numbers clearly. And if you want to give privately, you can uh, text CHCUS to this number and you can give privately or through the City Harvest Church app. Amen? You ready to give? Yeah. I would say give it cheerfully. So when you drop your offering envelope, you just smile at God. Amen. All right, Ashes, please serve the people. You know, altar building in the Old Testament used to be a physical effort, you know, and preceding an unpleasant bloodletting. You know, every time when they come to the altar, they have to kill lambs and goats. Can you imagine how bad it smells? Have you ever... Have you ever smelled uh, dead animals and blood? The, the stench is terrible. So the altar experience is a terrible experience because the priest will be there offering at the altar and at the back will be animals screaming and crying. Have you ever heard the scream of an animal who is near the slaughter? It is terrible. And the stench of the blood... So in the Old Testament, the altar experience is never pleasant. But in the New Testament, it's different. It is, it is an experience that is preceded by the willing, the hope-filled sacrifice of anything that stands between us and God. At the altar of our hearts, we remember that we are forgiven. 
we are accepted by our merciful, loving Savior and washed in His blood. Amen. Amen. How many of you are grateful for what the Lord has done for you in your life? Let's give Him a big hand. Amen. Hallelujah. And if in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, when the altar is removed from the church, God's people become proud and feel entitled. Do you see that happening? When the altar is removed from the church, God's people feel proud and they feel entitled. I'm entitled to be treated well. And I am entitled to, do, you know, to be treated in certain ways. And because of that, the oneness of the church body fractures because of pride. Offense are uprising. Every time people enter a church, they get offended. Why? It's all because of pride. And it is very common if you have children like me. I have three teenagers. And one common feedback that I always got from parents is their children are always so entitled. They have this entitlement mentality. Agree? All right. Some of you have kids around. You don't dare to agree. But we even have books written about the entitlement generation. What is the problem? The problem is we have not taught our children the value of sacrifice. Because in your family, you are the only one sacrificing. The children have everything they need at every point they want. They have never learned what is the value of sacrifice. What is the value of delaying something because what is coming later is better. And because of that, they feel entitled. And that is, that is a great challenge for parents today. And just this week, you know, my, one of my child had to go through that lesson about sacrificing because she had an event and she would really love to go for that event, but the ministry needed her. And so she was in a valley of decision and she had to make a choice. And I'm glad she made the choice herself, though with lots of emotion but she made the right choice. And I think that there's no greater comfort for a parent to see a child willing to choose what is right despite how she feels, despite popular opinion, despite friends' influence. Amen? So when the altar of God is removed from the church, people feel, the, people, the God's people become proud and they feel they are entitled so that is where the problem is. So what happens at the altar? Worship, heartfelt, truth-inspired worship happens at the altar. Number two, total sacrifice happens at the altar. You cannot come to God with a partial sacrifice, a lame sacrifice, a spotted sacrifice, a defective sacrifice. Amen? Number three, last one. What happens at the altar? Transformation happens at the altar. For Old Testament saints, the altar was a place they met God. The altar is the open door 
to new beginnings, like Noah. In Genesis 8, verse 20 to 21, when the ark had landed and the flood has dissipated, the door of the ark opened and Noah came down. And the first thing he did, he erected an altar and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Amen. At the altar, men renewed their vision and revitalized their sense of purpose. And it was at the altar that they raised the banner of the Lord and went out to fulfill their destinies. Like Moses, in Exodus 17, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it to the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalite from under the heavens. And Moses built an altar and called its place, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. And they went forth, at the altar, they went forth stronger from their experience, confident in their calling, able to do the will of God. Perhaps our best altar builder ex uh, example would be Abraham himself. He had responded to the call of God to go forth from his native land to a place that God would show him. He was walking in faith and obedience, no idea where he was going. And in Genesis 12, we see that Abraham was already 75 when God told him to depart from Haran and come to the land of Canaan to a place of Shechem. Genesis 12 and verse 7, And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And in Genesis 12 verse 8, he came to a place north uh, east of Bethel and he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. So when he wants to talk to God, he built an altar and he called out to God and God would meet him at the altar. And in verse 13, again, he went back to his first altar and called out to the name of the Lord. We can learn from these encounters that Abraham had with God that Abraham was an altar builder. And this became his pattern, the pattern for his life. God was central to whatever he did, and the altar appears wherever he went. Thank God we are in the New Testament, New Covenant. We are in a New Covenant season. We don't have to physically build an altar when we want to cry out to the Lord, right? We go into the altars of our heart, and God is always there to meet with us. But Abraham, this, life, this altar-building lifestyle was passed down to his son Isaac. And then subsequently, that happened also in Jacob's life. And even though Jacob started his life not on a good footing, he was always struggling because he never had his father's favor. So he struggled with identity issue. He was always feeling a little bit inadequate. And so he always had to fight for himself. Eventually, God had to divinely intervene intercept in his journey so that he can walk in his destiny. See, Jacob was so stubborn and would not surrender until God had to put his finger in his socket and cause him to submit. See, Genesis 32 verse 25 to 28, or 26 rather to 28 says, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? 
God asking Jacob, what is your name? Do you think God doesn't know he's Jacob? He does. Every time God asks you a question, it's because he needs you to think. Amen. Amen. And that's how God speaks to me. Every time he'll wake me up and he'll ask me a question. And then when I sit on my bed and I think of that question, I will then go through a journey what God wants to reveal to me. So God is now wanting to reveal to Jacob his destiny. Listen very carefully. He said, what is your name? And then Jacob said, Jacob said, Jacob. So he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You see, Jacob was coming to God to look for a blessing. Just like some of you, you come to church because you need God to bless you. But God is not looking for a blessing. God is looking for a name change. See, Jacob finally surrendered to God of Israel, embraced his destiny. He built an altar there and called it Peniel, which means prince with God. He's, he was a trickster, a supplanter, the Bible says, but from a trickster to a prince of God. See, the altar was the place where Jacob regained the favor and the backing of God. The altar is where you take down your slave mentality and then you receive your sonship identity. At the altar is where you take down your slave mentality and you put on your sonship identity. So when the altar is removed from the church, God's people remain as slaves and not sons. When the altar is missing from the church, believers sit in the congregation, but they don't think like sons. They, they understand what the word preached, but they still identify themselves as slaves. How do we know? Because of the way they talk, because of the way they walk, because of the way they conduct the affairs of their lives. The altar has been removed from the church, and because of that, worship now is sing-along. Because of that, Sacrifice is no longer entertained because of that. Transformation is just basically mental, psych psychological rather than spiritual. In the Old Testament times, when altars were whole, they were used, times were good. When the altars were broken down, they were unused, neglected, and forgotten times were not good. You realize that? When we read the Bible, whenever the altar has been used, there is prosperity. When the altar has been neglected, enemies come and invade the territory. In each of us, there is an altar. And we are responsible for maintaining that altar, for making sure it is good condition and is constantly used. Amen. 
Why? Because the altar prepares the people for his power. When the altar building is a lifestyle, God can now trust you with his power. And all God's people say? How many of you want the power of God in your life? Yeah. God says his power is for you, but he's waiting for you to constantly be that, to be that person that will build your altar, that will maintain your altar. You see, the power of the church, the power of God must come to the church. Not only his glory, but his power. Everyone say together with me, the power of God must come to the church. But what determines the power of the church? What kind of church is powerful? There are two things I want to mention. There are more than that, but two things for the objective of my message today. There are two things, the most important two things that determines the power of the church. Number one is her purpose. The power of something is in her purpose. And that's why if you do not understand your purpose, you will not walk with a sense of power. But when you know your purpose, you will have power on the inside of you, regardless of prayer. And you know, Jesus didn't say this in the synagogue. When did he say it? He said it when he was coming into Jerusalem where he was preparing to be crucified. He came into the city of Jerusalem, right on the donkey and came in. And people were waving their palms, waving their hands and say, Heal to the king of the Jews, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into the city of Jerusalem, he came to the temple. And lo and behold, at the temple, people were buying and trading and selling and no one was sacrificing, worshipping and praying. So that's why he turned the table and said, this is my house and it shall be a house of prayer. See, the synagogue, and today most people come to church and they come to church to have a synagogue experience. But the synagogue is a place where doctrines are debated and expounded. That's when the teaching happens in a synagogue but not in a temple. In a temple, that's where worship happens. That's where sacrifice, that's where prayer happens. But in today's Christian world, because the altar is missing, people come to church only wanting to hear the message. We have lowered the temple to a synagogue. This is not a synagogue. This is the temple. Amen. We are building a temple. Amen. Why? Because the glory must come back. Because we are waiting for the power of God to consume us. Without the altar, there will be no power. Without the altar, the glory will not come. Because God will not manifest himself in a synagogue. He only comes in the temple. Built with living stones. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Ephesians 6 in a spiritual battle, it talks about spiritual warfare. It says that we must always pray. We must always supplicate. We must always intercede. Now listen carefully. 
at the end, you will understand why there's such a power shortage in the church today. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, God says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. God says, I desire to see that. Amen. Amen. Matthew 18 verse 19 to 20. I'm going to go through a whole series of verses. Is that all right? Because I need to see that you understand what God is wanting to say. Because when revelation comes, darkness is liquidated. Now you understand. Now you have power because you understand the purpose. Matthew 18 says, If two agree on earth concerning anything, it shall be done. So how many of you will agree with me that the glory of God must come back? Amen. How many of you will agree with me that we need the power of God? How many of you will agree with me that marriages has to be restored? How many of you will agree with me that abortion of innocent children has to be stopped? How many will agree with me that our children should not come under the influence of the world and come under the influence of God? We are more than two of us. It shall be done for us. But the issue is we need to keep at it and keep standing on what we believe. God says, if two, if you just find two. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor Susan, I cannot find another one to agree with me. Why well, it says, well, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. If the Holy Spirit agrees with you, then it shall be done. Amen. Isaiah 22 verse 22. I, 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 this is so powerful for me. It says, the key of the house of David, I will lay on his shoulder, so he shall open and no one can shut. And he shall shut and no one can open. God says there's a key given to the household of David. And you know, Jesus came from the lineage of David. And we all, because we have received Jesus, we all have been grafted into the lineage of David. Am I right? So because Jesus has the key, we now has the key. We now have the key. Everyone say, I have the key. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you have the key. You have the key to open a particular door in heaven that no man can shut. And you have the key to shut something no man can open. And this verse, listen carefully, is mentioned in the Old Testament but it is also repeated in the New Testament, and it is also spoken in the future. So you see how powerful this verse is. And for the fact that Isaiah 22 verse 22, 22 means authority. He cannot, God cannot emphasize enough. We need to pay attention to this verse. Matthew 16 verse 17 to 18, and this was the passage where Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter came and said, You are Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, let me tell you, it's not really on a rock. What Jesus is meaning, what Jesus meant was saying, that based on your revelation of who I am, I will build the church, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Again, the authority of the believer 
Whatever we bind here on earth, it shall be bound. It didn't say maybe, it said it shall be bound. Whatever we lose on earth, it shall be loose. Now, let's go to the future in Revelation 3. And the Lord says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, writes, He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Amen. The power of a church is not in its numbers. The power of the church is in the remnant, the group of people who dare to pray, who dare to believe that we have the key. And the key is through our prayer. First Peter 4 verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious. Everyone say, I will be serious. And watchful in my prayer. See, Ephesians 6, 20, uh, 6 12, we mentioned this earlier. We talk about spiritual warfare, that we are supposed to stand and fight against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I mentioned this in our women's meeting, and I think that it's good as we talk about prayer to really talk a little bit about this. There are three heavens that the Bible mentioned. The first heaven is where Jesus, where God dwells with all the saints and the angels. There's a second heaven, which is the sky between the earth and the first heaven. And the third heaven is the spiritual realm immediately surrounding the earth. And it is in this realm that the power of darkness walls against the power of God for the souls of men. Amen. I hope this is not entirely new to you. But you understand, if we can believe heaven, then we know that there is a hell. If we believe God, then we know that there is a demon. So all the spiritual warfare is waged over one essential question. Who will control reality on earth, heaven or hell? Who will control reality on earth? heaven or hell so you be the judge of it do we see more heaven here on earth or do we see more the manifest hell on earth revelation 12 verse 7 to 8 says 7 to 9 says and war broke out in heaven michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought sounds like some uh, video games but but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You see, the war against principalities involves displacement. Christ filling up the atmosphere once held by Satan. See, we cannot destroy Satan because Satan's time is not up. There is no way to destroy darkness. But there's one way to displace it, and that is through our influence, through our prayer. Amen. Psalms 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. 
but the earth He has given to the children of men. See, God has given to us the earth, meaning that He wants us to have authority over the spiritual atmosphere of the earth. He wants to exert His influence on this earth through us. The battle is not in our physical weaponry, but in the power of agreement in prayer between men and God. Amen. The more we agree with God, the more the influence of heaven permeates on the face of the earth. Ephesians 6 verse 17 or 18 says, we must pray always. So when two agree on earth, again, it shall be done in heaven. When the church on earth is aggressive in agreeing with God, praying the will and the word of God, the presence of God increases in the spiritual realm, proportionately displacing the influence of hell on earth. Then manifestation of revivals, healings, and miracles happen. But when the church is passive and not praying, when you and I are not paying the price to pray, the power of hell increases their rule over the affairs of men. Marriages break up, crime increases, lawlessness becomes rampant. Take a moment to think. Is it the former or the latter that is manifesting more in your area, your life, or your community? Everyone says together with me, say, we will pray. pray. Louder, say, "We we will pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's pray together. So the more we agree, the more the manifestation of the reality of heaven. The more people agree together, the more power and the more influence is released into our spiritual realm. So the power of the church first rests in her purpose. And her purpose is to be a house of prayer. We should come back to the centrality of praying and interceding. Finally, number two, and this is very important that you hear clearly. Number two, the power of the church lies in its priesthood. The power of the church lies in the purpose, and the power of the church lies in its priesthood. The church has not stayed true to her call because God has made the church to be his priest on the earth. It is the priest that comes into the Holy of Holies. The church is called to come into the presence of God on behalf of the people of this world to intercede for His mercy and His deliverance. See, God calls, made the church to be the priest on the earth. And there are two priesthood on the earth. The first one being Israel. In Exodus 19, it says, And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you should speak to the children of Israel. So a priest is holy and separated to the purpose of God. And the first nation that God gives a priesthood to is Israel. So anytime when Israel strays, God will uh, allow things to happen to bring her back into her purpose. So under the old covenant, the priesthood was limited. Why? Because the priest can only come from one tribe. What tribe was that? The Levitical priesthood, right? It is the tribe of Levi. But under the new covenant, God raised up a different priesthood. In Hebrews 6 verse 20, it says, Where the forerunners had entered for us 
even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we are not under the Levitical priesthood, but under the Melchizedek priesthood. What is the difference? The Melchizedek priesthood has a king. The Melchizedek priesthood has a king. Hebrews 7 verse 1 to 3 says, For this Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So to whom Abraham gave a tent to all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. And verse 3 says, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Abraham met the Son of God, personified as the high priest. And there, Abraham recognized who he was and then paid tithe to him. You see, Israel rejected their king. In John 19 verse 15, they say, We have no king but Caesar. So when they rejected their king, the priesthood now rests upon the church. God raised up a different priesthood in the world, and, he, and the priesthood is the church. Say the church. So the church in this world now supersedes Israel because we have a king and his name is? We have a king and his name is? So because Israel has not reformed in its priesthood, the church is now established to carry the function of the priesthood on this earth. 1 Peter 2 verse 5, And the priesthood is not someone who wears a robe. That is not what God is saying. Who are the priests? First Peter 2 verse 5 says, You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The priesthood is not limited to Derek and I. We are the priesthood over you, but who are the priests? All of us, turn to your neighbor and say, you are the priest. Exodus 19 verse 6 says, and let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This kingdom that we are building, this kingdom that God says is his kingdom, are made up of priests. You are the priests. So the power of the church can only return if we, the priests, will pray. If we, the priests, will come to the altar and offer up sacrifices of prayer, be the living sacrifice and stand in the gap between the living and the dead. And because we refuse to pray, because we don't see our role as priests, that's why there's no power That's why evil is rampant. I want you to know how powerful your priesthood is by telling you a story. And we go back to the story of Abraham. And in in Genesis 18 verse 17, you see, Abraham was so loved by God, not because he was so outstanding, but he just loved God. He just was faithful to God. 
and God called him his friend. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? You see, God was wanting to punish Sodom and Gomorrah. It was an evil city. And it's not because God doesn't love, God didn't love Sodom and Gomorrah, because everything that man does, man needs to pay for what he has done. So it came to a judgment time because the cries of men came out to the Lord. And so God had to punish Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what he did? He told Abraham what he was going to do. Why? Does God need Abraham's permission? Why did he tell Abraham? Because, yeah, when we tell our friends all our secrets and what we're going to do. Yeah, but... God doesn't just tell for the sake of telling, right? He told Abraham because he wanted Abraham to intercede. Sodom and Gomorrah. You look at the exchange. And, and you know, in Genesis 18, the men, the angels, there were three of them, turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. He, stood, he stopped the Lord from going. And you know what he said? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? He began to debate with God, began to bargain with God. Suppose there are 50 righteous in that city. Would you destroy Sodom? I check it out. Sodom is a city of about 600 to maybe 1,200 people. And Abraham said, if you find 50, will you destroy the city? God said, no, if I find 50, okay. Based on what you're saying, I won't destroy it. Abraham went down to, what about 45? What about 45? Would you destroy the city? God said, no, no. If I find 45, I won't destroy the city. What if I found only 30? Would you destroy the city? God said, okay, I will spare the city if I find 30. And Abraham kept going, bargaining back and forth. Imagine mortal men like you coming before the Lord and bargain with Lord for the lives of 1,200 people in that city. From 1,200, he lowered all the way to 10. God, if you just find 10, would you destroy the city? God said, no. If I find 10, if you tell me I find 10, I will not destroy the city. But you know, Sodom was destroyed. Why? Because there was not 10 in that city. How many were in that city? How many righteous? Genesis 19 verse 16. And while he lingered, while Lot was lingering, the man, the angel, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, Lot's hands, his wife's hands, and the hands of the two daughters. The two sons-in-law laughed at their father-in-law when he told them, and they didn't leave. How many were found in that city? Four. Let me ask you, if Abraham had lowered the number to four, what would have happened to Sodom? What would have happened to Sodom? Would they have been saved? Yes. Because it is in, not in God's heart to destroy men. Because my God, my God is full of mercy and grace. Amen. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is enough for us. 
but will he find a priesthood in you? Will he find a priest who is willing to put on her rope and come to the altar of her heart and intercede for her sister, her brother, her father, her mother, her colleagues, her neighbours that are dying, that are struggling, they have a, a, a sign, a, a picture of holiness, but no power. They are struggling with depression. They are struggling with the, de- the, the demands of life, the hardness of life. Will he find priests in this church that will put on our rope and say, Lord, here I am to intercede for your people. You know, many years ago, and I told this story and because you're newcomers, uh, let me tell this story again. You know, I, I have a brother, and he was often on the going wayward and doing things that were reckless in his life. And I, I was very burdened for him because I knew if no one stops him, he's going to go down somewhere so bad. And so I interceded for him. I often prayed for him, you know, and I, I often pray for him. And my pastor during that time says, you need to activate your imagination, the eye of your spirit. When you pray, see that person coming to the Lord. I prayed and I really cannot the, the choices that he made, the fact that he caused me and my mom to worry so much about him. And I was tired of this thorn. And when I repented, That was when I began to see. That was when I could see when I prayed that he had tears in his eyes in a church and then he responded to the altar call and walked down to receive the Lord as his Lord and Savior. And subsequently after that, the Lord spoke to me, therefore stand and see salvation. Today I am proud to declare to you he came to the Lord Shortly after that, came to the Lord, accepted the Lord, happy in church, growing as a believer. Even without me being around him, he was, you know, faithfully going to church and faithfully, you know, uh, in, in the house of God. So you see, oh, praise the Lord. Amen. You see, we need to put on our priesthood robe and know there's so much power when we pray. When two agree on earth, it shall be done in heaven. And even if you stand in agreement with the Spirit of God, anything is possible. You have the key of David, the key to open the doors that cannot be shut. And that's the doors of salvation, revival, blessing, and whatever God has for His people. And shut the doors of demons and the dark forces of influence that has come to devour men and devour their destiny. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20 says, Now all things are of God, who who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word. Everyone say word. The word of reconciliation. So it is important for us to understand when we pray, we also need to deliver the word. 
We need to go out into our community, our office, our family, and begin to speak the word of reconciliation. Begin to tell people that God is merciful, God is kind, and God loves you, and you need to come back into the house of God. Amen? It is time for us to call the prodigals back. It is time for us to call the laws back into the house of God. Yes, many people here in this part of the world call themselves believers. But you understand it is not. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It's another thing to be a part of the living stone of the temple of God. Amen? Because the glory is coming, the power needs to be returned, so the people need to come back so that God can manifest His glory and His power over their lives. Luke 19 verse 14, And Jesus said to them, I tell you this, that I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. God is demanding for us to speak the word. And in this season where we're entering our Easter season, don't just come and enjoy what is being put up because what is being put up is not for us. It's for all those prodigals that need to come back, for the pre-believers that need to come back to the house of God, for your family, your friends, your colleagues that need to hear the good news. You know, Jesus died for all of us. But it is not just His sacrifice right? But him dying cannot complete the work. You see, Pastor Susan, why are you saying that? Because he needs to release the forgiveness. That is why in Luke 23, when he was on the cross, he had to say this before he let his spirit go. Before he dies, he has to say this very important thing. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And that's what you and I do. We have a high priest in heaven that's always interceding for us. But you know, we need to come before God. And the worship team, can you come up right now? We need to come before God and say, Father, forgive my brother who has rejected you. Father, forgive my son who has gone astray and did all these things that displeases you. Father, forgive my colleague for he doesn't know what he's doing. Father, forgive my friends for they do not know the standard of the holiness of God. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And you know, when he was there on the cross, when he was releasing forgiveness to all of us, even though we were not born yet, but in that place, he released total, irrevocable forgiveness to all mankind. And at that cross, there was a thief who was hung on that cross and he heard the word of reconciliation. He heard the word of reconciliation. And he turned to the Lord and said, 
Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did the Lord say to him? He said, Assuredly, I say to you, today, now, today, you see, the thief has not died yet, you know? He was still breathing. But the moment he said, Lord, remember me, Jesus says, today, now, you will be with me in paradise. Stand with me right now. The, worship, the prayer team, I want you to just stand according to the order that we're going to pray. Today we're going to pray. We're going to come back to the purpose of the church. And that's through our prayer. And the Bible says that God did, did desire for us to pray, lifting up holy hands. I want you to lift up your holy hands as priesthood of this generation. Know that you are the priest. That your prayer has tremendous power. That those that you forgive will be forgiven them. Those people whose sins are forgiven by you will be forgiven. That those who are, who are sick, they can be healed because you are praying. Those who are away, going astray, they will come back because you intercede for them at the altar of God. Let this be the altar of the temple. Let the sacrifices of your prayer rise up to the Lord. Come on, live out your voice. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. This morning, we're going to activate the purpose of the church. We're going to activate our prayer. And there are several people here. We're going to intercede. We're going to intercede for the different things that is in our heart this morning. And as they pray, as they begin to pray, I want you to just stand. I don't want you to be watching them. I want you to listen to what they are praying. I want you to stand in agreement in your spirit. And if you feel an amen coming up, you just say amen. Praise the Lord, whatever it is. Let's join our hearts together. And let's our prayer cry out to the Lord. And let the Lord come and consume the sacrifice of prayer. We're going to pray for marriages right now. God, we come before you today. We, we join in agreement, in unity about the covenant of God. You are a covenant God. We thank you for the covenant of marriage. Lord, we ask that marriages will return to the God of covenant, will return and be reconciled to you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that there will be a new merging and unifying between husbands and wives, Lord. I thank you that you are a God of unity. So we thank you for unity in the kingdom of God being released into our marriages. I thank you, God, for a new move of forgiveness, forgiveness to flow between husbands and wives. Lord, that will bring healing that is deep, 
healing that is lasting. I thank you, Lord, for a new level of humility to, to uh, rush and flow freely, unhindered into our marriages, Lord. That the selflessness will arise and selfishness will decrease, Lord. I thank you for a humbling and an honor to be restored into marriage. Lord, for women honoring their husbands and men honoring their wives. I thank you for a new level of reverence coming into marriage. I thank you, Lord, for sanctification and for a sacredness to return to marriages. I thank you for reigniting uh, godly love, Lord. It is only the love of God that will truly ignite a love that is deep and that is authentic. I thank you for a new level of commitment and devotion between husbands and wives, Lord, where commitment has fallen along the wayside and made room, Lord, for casualness and apathy. I thank you for commitment returning. I thank you for the marriage relationship to be restored, to be restored and to reveal what your purpose is, Lord, for the purpose of marriage, Lord, for the veil to be lifted, for Christian couples to once again see what the purpose was that they were called together. We break the plan of the enemy, Lord, for demons are running to and fro in the households through thoughts, through attitudes, through opinions, Lord. We break the power of the enemy. We break the power of divorce. We command in Jesus' name that divorce, the spirit of divorce will be broken, annihilated, and put under the blood. I thank you, God, for the word of God once again governing Christian marriages, the word of God being the absolute, the word of God, the principles and, and, and who you are, Lord, to once again govern marriage. We bless the Christian marriages in this nation. And Lord, I thank you for other marriages that don't know you yet, that you are not the center, that they will come to see that you are the only one who can be at the center and restore them back to what the love that they entered into marriage will be restored in Jesus' name. Let's pray for families right now. Hallelujah. Father, we come humbly before you. As part of the family of God, we stand in the gap for the families. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that the families would be united under a spirit of God the Godhead and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that all family members will return to the church, will return, come back to the body of Christ, come back to the community of believers, Lord, where they can be nurtured, where they can be discipled. Lord, we pray that the parents and the families would take back their role as parents, as fathers and mothers. Lord, roles that they have relinquished, roles that the father has just relinquished and given over the leadership to the, to the wife. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we call forth the fathers to assume, reassume their role as fathers. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the head, as the protector, like a soldier who would stand guard over those families, Father, who would stand guard over their children. 
Lord, we pray for healing of broken relationships in the families. Where, Lord, the fathers have provoked their children to anger. Lord, where children have become rebellious. Lord, where mothers have just basically given up. Heal those relationships, Father, in the name of Jesus. Restore order into the families, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would grace the parents to be godly, Holy Spirit-filled examples of the love of Christ to their children. That, Father, the children would respond to the love of Christ coming through their parents. And, Father, we pray an extra measure, Lord, an extra measure of your grace to the single parents, Lord, to the single mothers, to the single fathers. Lord, we come against discouragement in the name of Jesus. We come against the spirit of lack in the name of Jesus. We speak encouragement. We speak life. We speak empowerment, Lord, into the lives of the single parents. Lord, we thank you that your peace now overshadows violence and anger and disunity and rebellion. The peace of God that passes all understanding, Lord, overtake every family. And in the name of Jesus, we break every generational curse, every spirit of addiction, every spirit of rebellion, every spirit of poverty. We call you down in the name of Jesus. We call every family blessed of God, walking in the peace of God, experiencing the unity, a spirit of unity in their homes. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Let's pray for the youth today. Father, we pray for this young generation. I thank you, Lord, that you will reveal your face to them, Father, that they will turn and they will see you, Father. Where they've looked to put their identity in other things, they will see your face and they will see everything else is empty, Father. And you will reveal yourself in your power, in your might, Father, and in your fullness. And they will say, I will not stand for anything else. They will begin to take a stand for the truth, Father. When the lies begin to come up around them, they will stand and they will know who they are. They will stand in this generation and they will say, that is not what the Lord has said. That was not what I am. And I will stand for who I've been called to be. And they will carry something of God in the Spirit. We thank you. It will be from the young ages, Father. They will carry the movement of the supernatural, Father. They will be those that will move in prophecy. They will be those that will move in de deliverance, Father. They will move in healing. They will move in Ramah. Uh, they will shift territory spirits, Father. We thank you that from a young age, they will rise up in prayer. They will begin to pray over their schools. They'll begin to pray over their colleges. The territories, the things that have held the colleges, will begin to shift off. The principalities and powers will begin to be removed. We thank you, Lord, for spirit of humility coming on the youth, Lord, that they would humble themselves before you. They would say that if I will leave my life, give up my life, Lord, that you would do something with me, that we could run together, Father, and do something of your spirit, Lord. A spirit of humility will come upon the youth, Lord. They will be teachable, they will be humble, and they will serve the Lord in this generation and carry the voice of God in this generation. Shut up, 
Come on, let's begin to pray for the children right now. Father, we lift up all the children. Jesus, you say that let the little children come to you. You don't just despise the kid. You don't just put them in the back. You don't put them to the side. You want to have a relationship with them. You want them to draw near to you. So right now, God, I pray that the young children, from young all the way to the even, even like the 12 elementary area, that you, that they desire to have a hunger, a hunger so deep for more of you, God, to, to, to have encounters with you, God, that there's such a love for who you are, who you've created them to be, that they're wanting each and every day to seek your face, that they're not getting tired, they're not getting weary, they're going to rise up, they're going to rise up in their spirit, and they're going to seek your face day and night. I thank you that these kids, they're standard bearers, and that they will seek, they will hunger and thirst for your righteousness, God, that every single day they're going to want to be more and more like you, Jesus. They're going to have that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will stand up in their schools. They will stand up with their families. They will stand up with their peers to say, no, this is how it should be. This is what righteousness looks like. They will not bow to anything else. They will not bow to what the world says is right. But they will stand up because they know in their spirit what the truth is. Because you, God, you have revealed that to them. So I thank you, God, for that hunger right now, right now, rising up in our young children, rising up in the children. Lord, that there's not a limit on who can experience your Holy Spirit, who can experience your presence. You desire each and every one of us to be able to, and that's not any different than the children. So I thank you, God, for that hunger to stir up and that we will see the fruit of it. We will see the fruit of it in the house of God. We will see the fruit of it in our children, God, the ones that we're raising right now, Lord. And we just give you all the glory, God, that our kids, they will be change makers in their generation. And we give you all the glory for it, God. Well, give the Lord a big hand. We thank you, Father. We thank you, God. Thank moving you, in the thank children, you, thank moving in marriage, God, moving among the youth, God, moving in our community. Come on, let's pray for our community right now. Heavenly Father, we lift up the community of Aliso Viejo right now, Father God. We lift them up in the name of Jesus. We say, forgive them, Father God. Forgive them from they walked away from your truth. But today, Father God, we come stand in the gap for our community. You have placed City Harvest Church at the center of this community to reach out the sons and daughters that have lost their way. You have put this community in our hearts, Father God, so that we begin this revival, that we begin this hunger for you, Father God. So I come against that spirit of idolizing money, Father God. I come against the spirit of idolizing what we have in our home, in our bank account. Father God, what we need is your truth in our hearts. What we need is to live by your word, Father God, because your hand is our provision. Your hand says we will never lack. Father God, I speak forth faith in this community, Father God. I speak forth that there's going to be a revival in this community, Father God, that the fire has already been ignited, Father, that you are expressing your love for this community, Father, that you have already extended your hand and you're saying, come back to me, come back to me, for I love you. And with me, you can do all things. Father God, I thank you for this community that is going to come in unity, Father God. That's going to come in agreement for we coming against the spirits of fear, Father God. We're coming against that spirit of of, of suicide in the youth, Father God. We break that spirit right now in the name of Jesus. We speak forth a unity, a community that gathers together, Father God, to look for the best of your word in this community. So I thank you, Lord, that you are lifting up City Harvest Church with a fire and a hunger for you. I thank you for this revival, Father God, that you have already begun in our hearts. 
but this revival goes out to the community, Father God. So I thank you for city of Aliso Viejo, Father God, that you are building this church according to your word, according to your truth, Father God, because your word is the way, the truth, and life. So I thank you, Jesus. I thank you. Come on, let's begin to pray for Israel right now. The Bible says we bless Israel will be blessed. Come on, let's pray for the nation of Israel, for that priesthood. God, you are the father of Israel. And so I call back this nation right now. Father, you're going to redeem it. I call back fruitfulness to it. Forgive them, Lord, for not standing on behalf of the Messiah. I call forth revelation to come forth, Father, wisdom and truth. I thank you that these people, I stand on behalf of them, Father, between life and death. I stand in the gap for them and I say forgive them let them come back to you to your word father to the truth to the fullness of everything you have for them let them see who you are the scales of their on their eyes be torn off them father I thank you that they'll be able to hear and walk in truth Father, we pray for our nation. Come on, let's begin to cry out for the nation of America. God, we cry out to you like Abraham, God. God, we pray that, God, you will come and move upon this nation. God, we're one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. God, founded on that freedom to be able to worship you, founded on that freedom, God, to build a nation, God, that honors you, God. We pray that you would rain down from heaven, God. We pray that you would heal our land. You said of your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray that you will heal our land. God, we pray for the church to arise once again, that churches will arise and God begin to be the altars throughout their cities God throughout their states throughout God all the states of this nation that we will begin to once again put fire on the altar and begin to sacrifice and offer up prayer to you God that as we pray your kingdom come as we pray your will be done on earth as it is from heaven God you will hear from heaven you will heal our land that revival will come into marriages God God revival will come into young people will come into the children you said upon your young men, young women, old men, old women, you will pour out your spirit upon all flesh. And God, we'll begin to prophesy. We'll begin to declare what you are saying again, God. God, we pray for the love for people to come upon your church, God. The love for you that, God, even in City Harvest Church, you call us to be a church that loves God, loves people, loves life, God. Let us be fervent in our love for you. Let us be fervent in our love for other people, God, that will offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. And, God, the fire revival will come. God, even this Easter, let the fire and the passion, God, to be a soul winner. The fire and the passion to invite people to come, to share our story, to share what you have done on the inside of us, the work of salvation, how our bodies have been healed, our relationships have been restored, how, God, you have come and taken away our sin, God. God, move us with passion, God, even this Easter. God, here in Elisa Viejo, God, in Orange County, God, in the state of California, God, where you've called us God raise us up God raise us up God come on lift your hands just tell them God raise me up God God let boldness come upon every single person God the righteous are as bold as a lion we'll be bold to share our faith we'll be bold to rise up for you oh God we'll not draw back in intimidation for God you've not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind come on let's give the Lord a big hand let's shout unto him 
In the name of Jesus, we thank you, God. Love of God. Love of God.